What is up, everybody, and welcome to a Friday edition of the All NBA Podcast, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Tim, how are you doing on this Friday? I'm going great, man. I'm in beautiful New York City in Seaport Financial District, and it's 65 degrees outside in mid-November, so I'm, I have no complaints. No complaints. Uh, take those days when you can get them. Today, <laughs> we have got a really interesting Oklahoma City win over Golden State. Golden State reeling, Clay Thompson reeling. Legler has some notes on his jump shot we're going to talk about, but the story for me is Oklahoma City. We're going to get into what makes them such a unique team. I love when a team kind of finds a new mold, and I feel like the Oklahoma City Thunder have found that. We're also going to break down the Miami Heat, perpetually under the radar, but still one of the elite teams in the NBA. And then later on in the show, Legler, the professor of jump shots, is going to give us his five prettiest jumpers. Not the best, not the most effective, the prettiest jumpers in the NBA. And then, of course, we're going to debate who won the week. But first... We are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out the DraftKings uh, app and see all they have to offer using promo code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Legs. I love when we get a good game, when it's a close one, and there's some details to break down. We didn't necessarily get that last night, but what we did get – in my opinion, was a very interesting team putting on an interesting performance. And that's what I saw in the Oklahoma City Thunder. So first, I'll just ask you, maybe you differ. Did you see some interesting notes about the rhythm of this game that you want to highlight? Yeah, well, I think for me, it, the thing that stood out to me was the, how different OKC looks than most teams when it comes to their decision making with passing. And nowadays, in this modern NBA, when virtually every player on the floor has a green light, and I'm not exaggerating, there's not a player in the league that can take a shot at any time that'll be questioned by anyone, including their coaches. I've never seen anything like it, but that's the way the league looks now. And so as a result, very rarely are even half-decent shots turned down. And in watching this game last night, I was so impressed with the way the ball changed sides of the floor – with yeah. the number of of guys that like had a, a, a shot that they could have gotten off, a makeable shot, but it would have been a contested shot that ended up being moved to the next guy or a dribble dribble drive into the gap where a lot of guys will take that floater or runner or mid-range and there was a kick out to a guy at the three-point line, maybe that didn't even have a shot, but it was just the right play to get the ball moving to the opposite side. So impressed, particularly when you have one of the best one-on-one -on -one players and isolation players in the NBA. Right. And Shea Alexander, right? So you have a guy like that on your team. A lot of times the ball just is a magnet back to that guy, and then he goes and creates. That's not the case with this team. Uh, I was so incredibly impressed with the way they moved the basketball. 31 assists on 44 made baskets. Um, that's big time. And, and I think that, for me, more than anything – is what stood out from OKC's standpoint. From Golden State's, it was obviously a little bit of a mess at times offensively for, for obvious reasons we'll get into. Yeah, we'll get into the Warriors here at the end of the segment, but I want to stick with the Thunder here because this was, of all the games that I've watched of the Thunder, and they're one of the teams I enjoy watching, you know, try to spread it around so I see everybody, but if I get a, a chance just to watch a team I like, OKC is pretty high on the list. This was the best game I saw from them in terms of getting the ball popping. And it seemed to me 
like make perhaps the clearest vision of what this iteration of the team is going to be. There'll be evolutions. They're going to have to pick some lanes, you know, uh, eventually about some of the guys. But of this iteration, the the amount of playmakers that they can put on the court and the way that those playmakers connect to each other is incredible. And here's what it reminds me of. I remember Mike D'Antoni is in Houston and they get um, Chris Paul, I believe. And I remember him, somebody saying, well, he's a point guard and you already have a point guard in James Harden. And he said something to the effect of, if I could build a team my way, I would have five point guards. You know, I would have everybody would be a decision maker on the court and everybody could do it. To me, the Thunder have built Mike D'Antoni's dream. You've got so many guys who are either point guards or can make a decision with the ball in their hand. And when they come together and they work together, you end up getting all of this great fast breaking great cutting and slicing and playmaking on the rolls and different things. And that's why I think they had 31 assists last night. And that's why I thought their game looked so good. I agree with that. And I think and I can speak from experience with this, having been on some teams where this was the case and others where not so much. When you, when you play that way with that mentality, it, the, the way that you encourage guys to run the floor, to slash harder, because you might actually get rewarded. I mean, there's a lot of nights in this league because of what I said earlier, and it's one pass over half court, maybe two, and anybody's got any space or letting it fly. Well, that kind of discourages the weak side slasher, right? The weak yeah. side lane runner. It discourages those guys because you're like, what's the point? I saw last night guys making cuts because they were intent on receiving the basketball. And, and you know, you've captured something good when a guy can cut you know, two, three times, not get it and cut on the fourth time. Now you've created great chemistry within your team because the whole concept is be willing to do things that aren't necessarily going to get rewarded because it's better for our team overall. It's a hard concept sometimes in basketball. I thought last night, at least Oklahoma City captured that pretty well. And, and as a result, you know, Golden State, you're not going to be able to defend that. Uh, and you have a night when Shea Gill just goes six for 21 and they score 128 points. You know, that that's the kind of night, think about that. And Giddy, by the way, who who might be their best passer a lot of nights, he had one sure. assist. You know, he only had one last night. And they that's still wild. had 30 of the team. It's kind of crazy. The night that they had individually statistically to still look that good at times offensively. And I think it's because they've created this culture and environment of playing for the next guy. And, and when you do that, you're you're special to watch offensively. So they become one of my favorite teams to watch on League Pass every night. So you talk about Josh Giddy. He is, I think, the best passer on the team, just pure passer. And he's probably him and Vasa Micic are the two guys who are the most pure points, you know, point guards. Sure. So you got Micic, you got Giddy. You have Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's a scoring guard, but obviously a great playmaker. He sets the table very well by drawing so much attention and then finding open guys. Jalen Williams, who might be my favorite guy on the team, another just great playmaker. We're going to spend a little bit more time on him. Um, and those are your point guards. That's a lot of point guards. And again, I remember when they brought over Vasa Micic, he's a EuroLeague MVP. He has a reputation. And a lot of times, guys, when they're in Europe you know, and they go that long, you know, he's later into his career, kind of at his peak, it's hard to come over because you have to go to the bench and then you have to break into a rotation. And I remember thinking, they've got so many point guards ahead of him. Is he even going to play? Yeah. But now I see the vision. It is. It doesn't matter. We're going to put all of these guys on the court and attack you from every different angle. And as a result, last night, Josh Giddy, who is by far more of a playmaker than a finisher, last night he was a finisher because that's the texture of the game and what it took on. So that's the part of this team that I just really love. 
Um, and, and I find so interesting. They have so many guys. And then you put in other guards, Lou Dort, Isaiah Joe. They're not point guards. They're not passers, but you're just going to be playing really small. That's the other thing that stood out to me. They spent a lot of time last night with Kenrich Williams at center. On most teams, Kenrich Williams is a two or a three. He was playing five last night. And, you know, they made it work last night, at least. What do you think of that look? And what do you just think about the general idea of how small this team is? Yeah, they can play small lineups pretty effectively. Um, and and I think, you know, you say small lineups, but I mean, I think they can put Chad Holmgren at the center, and even though he's slightly built and he's, he's listed as their four, you can play him at five with four guards. And because yeah. of his ability to cover ground defensively, you can make up for a lot. And by the way, he's another guy we left out of this conversation about the ball moving. It's not like they're running their offense a ton through him, but he has the capability because of his IQ and his skill set and soft hands. I remember him in college when he was able to hit cutters of going backdoor from the elbows. He had a good dribble handoff game. He puts the ball above his head and, and like eyes the floor up because he's so long. He's another guy that just has great instincts offensively. He had a very efficient night, seven shots, 13 points, 10 boards, and only getting seven shots. That's a very efficient, effective night. He's always going to be good defensively. So I think their small lineup can be very, very effective at times. Well, let's stick on Chet for a second because he he is extremely interesting. Here's what I love about this team, and it's embodied by Chet Holmgren. I think he's aiming at the right target. You could come in and say, okay, I'm a top pick. Uh, you know, we got to build this game around me. What am I looking for? I'm looking for my pick and pop. I'm looking for that because that's the sexiest part of, of, of a game. And if you make enough threes, people are going to remember it. The guy is aiming for being a piece of this machine, of being a cog in the machine. And so, like you said, he impacts the guy. I love his game. He impacts the game in so many different ways. And last night, 13 points, 10 rebounds is a pretty in impressive stat line for a rookie. But honestly, it's more impressive in that it just was a natural thing. He wasn't trying to score. He wasn't trying to rebound. He was just trying to fit into what they do. And every time I've watched him this year, he's been that way. I don't think there's been many times I've looked at him and said, what is he doing? He's not doing the thing that the team is doing right now. Not at all. He, he scores organically, which is, which is rare for a guy that's picked that high, right? And, and misses a year. So he's really, you know, anxious to come out there and prove who he is. But here's where that wasn't going to be allowed. It wasn't going to be allowed because of what Mark Dagnall has created there and the yeah. way that they play. So that might be the best thing for him. And this team, by the way, you know, one of these surprise stories in the league a year ago. So you come into this season with higher expectations. You know, right. you look at, for instance, comparing to Victor Wembanyama, what's going on in San Antonio, that team is expected to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. There's very little pressure on him. Greg Popovich is going to protect him from that. They're not worried about wins. This entire year completely hinges on developing Victor Wembanyama as the year goes on. That's, that's all that matters to the San Antonio Spurs. That's not the case for Oklahoma City. This is a team that, that wants to be in the mix in the Western Conference playoff race and not just a team right. that's, you know, struggling to, in the play-in. They think that they can be somewhere, you know, above that Mendoza line, get get into that top six. And so as a result, there's accountability to the way you play. And I'm sure Chet Holmgren has felt that from the very first day of training camp. So he is going to play a certain way and let it come to him. I mean, he's only averaging about right about 10 shots a game. And when you're averaging 10 shots a game, and these are your numbers, right? These are his splits, 52 from the field, 44 from the three, just under eight boards, two and a half assists, 2.2 blocks, almost 16 points. You can't get much better than that <laughs> in 29 minutes for a rookie. I mean, that's – And he's not forcing it. Like those numbers are coming to him, you know, that's in the, the game. Thing. 
And if, if he wanted to force two or three more shots a game, guess what? They'd probably live with that because of where he was drafted. And, you know, you kind of yeah. understand that. And maybe his numbers would be a little bit higher, but maybe their team would not be as good. And maybe their 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 overall culture would be affected by letting this young yeah. guy have that much that much leash. So instead, he plays completely within himself. You never see him force anything, but he still puts up very impactful stat lines, and he's on the floor when the game is on the line, which is really important for them too. I'm wondering what you think about this because I'm actually not surprised by how Chet is playing this year in that regard because the first time I saw him in high school going up against Imani Bates, that game stood out to me so much because he was tough as nails and he had all of this talent and different stuff, but it was more just the toughness that stood out when I watched him play. And I think that to be a guy that is willing to buy into a system right out of the gate, it requires a toughness and a security in who you are. And I know this sounds almost counterintuitive, but guys, rookies especially that come out with something to prove, especially when they join a good team, to me it's always there's a little insecurity. There's a little bit of like, well, I don't want people to think I'm not this or I'm not that. And to me, Chet's game is mature in that he just goes out there and wants to win and he's going to find a way to win and he plays that way. And to me, it's a, it, 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 there's a parallel to his toughness to also the way the style he plays in that regard totally agree he's got an edge to him and and i saw it when i first time i saw him and i don't remember if it was already when he was in college or before that right i really got to look at him one of the things that stood out to me for a guy built like that he he gets those 50 50 rebounds right he grabs the tough rebound in traffic and he rips it out of there um so there's a there's a competitiveness to him i think is what you're referring to that's going to bode very well for what his upside ultimately will be. And this is, you and I had this discussion on a previous show about the trade-off between, in development, between being in a situation where you're not expected to win, no one really cares about the bottom line wins and losses, so you're you're enabled more freedom to let yourself grow and expand your game like faster. But then you have maybe less of that, but you're in a winning situation. So every day when Chet Homer goes to the arena, Right? This team is expecting to compete and win tonight. They're playing for something. And I think even if that means a little bit of a hit on what your personal growth can be or your stats can be, it ultimately bodes you well to be thrust into a situation where you're where you're, you've, you're, you're expecting to win and you're competing, you're playing for something. It feels different when you go to the arena. It feels different when you're at practice, when you're traveling, when you're watching film, when you're playing for something that matters. And I think that's that's important, just as important to your development early on. I want to talk about another rookie. Kaysen Wallace has really jumped on my radar this year. Not a guy that was on my radar necessarily coming in. And I just went through um, and listed all of the point guards on the team. He kind of fits this mold. I don't know if he's a point guard, but he has really impressed me as a connector in this offense. And that's what I'm talking about is less about is this guy like um, Giddy's a point guard. Michich is kind of a point guard. The rest of these guys are guys that can make plays and connect passes. And to me, he shot the ball well. He's played impressive defense. But last night, his passing was really incredible. And I think he even had a lob to Shea Gildas-Alexander. I don't know how many lobs Shea has been catching because usually the ball's in his hand. This year, you have all these playmakers. Um, what have you seen from Cason Wallace and, and, and what, what do you make of his game? No, I, I love it. I, you know, it's, it's a name that people weren't familiar with. And, you, you know, the first time you watch Thunder early in the year and you see, you know, he, he's getting minutes and you're like, well, is it what's the context of that? Is, is, there, is there other guys out? Now here we are. We've got 12 games on our belt. He's playing 24 minutes a night. 
So he's in the rotation. It's obvious early on, man. He just he just impressed them as a guy that was going to come out there. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows where to go next with the basketball. He can score if he gets opportunities. But you're never hurt with him in the game. And I think that's yeah. ultimately coaches love guys like that. Like it's never going to be some sort of a mistake where they're not prepared, not ready, just and and not thinking and not trying to do what you need them to do offensively. He connects guys. I think that is the best word to use for him. And he has grown on them to the point where I think now he's going to be in the rotation. I mean, he's not going anywhere. They're, they're going to him consistent minutes in both halves. So many guys to get to on this. I want to keep it moving. Um, let's talk about Jalen Williams. I mentioned earlier, he might be my favorite guy on the team. I mean, he had a breakout year last year. I actually think I did. I don't have a, a rookie of the year vote. I think he probably deserved more consideration than he got because of how, you know, uh, Paolo Bancaro had a phenomenal start, tailed off in the second half. It was the opposite for Jalen Williams. He was so dynamic and so impactful for that team last year, and he picked up where he left off. He's got a big body on him. He's got a very unique body. I'm always I'm always interested in players that have, like, unique features to him. He's got really long legs, high hips, really long arms, and then he's kind of a wide-body player. He's almost built like James Harden. I think he almost has a James Harden wideness and thickness to him. And he has a little bit of that in his game. He doesn't hold the ball like James Harden does. But when he's driving to the rim, he does a good job of sort of putting the ball into your chest to create space and finish. Um, and then obviously just an all-around talent. He even, last night, he had two or three of these little scoop shots that reminded me of Shea Gildas-Alexander. And I'm sure he gets it from watching Shea and from playing alongside no of him. About it. No doubt. But I watch him. I watch him, and I just love Jalen Williams's game. He might be the second best player on their team. I think he probably is the second best player on their team. Yeah. So you, you know, you mentioned some of those scoop shots. I'm thinking to myself, I'm guaranteeing you. Know, there's a game called Rise and Shine. They might call it something different now. We we would call it Rise and Shine. Basically, one on one game. You know, five guys waiting under the basket, and you're in line. You're stepping on next, and you right. can't get the ball unless you get a stop, right? right. And usually, it's like a three dribble limit. So you're not dribbling the ball and backing guys down. And so playing against him, and I'm sure he has guarded him a ton in practice and in just stuff after practice when they're playing one-on-one -on -one and whatever they're doing. And you're going to pick up some of that stuff and how your quicker ways to get the ball to the basket and creative ways to get it up on the glass. Um, I like your point about the big body because that his strength and his base allows him to have a lot of versatility defensively. He can, he can lay off guys a little bit on the perimeter because of his, his reach and still be in the area to affect them. But then if there's a ball screen and a switch, he can ride guys out of the post. Like I've seen guys try to that had a four-inch height yeah. advantage try to get that switch and roll him into the paint, and he is just getting low and getting into their kidneys and pushing those guys off. So, you know, it's a big difference between an 8- to 10-foot post-up and a 15- to 18-foot post-up. That becomes a short post-up. And if that's your Anthony Davis, that's not a great place to operate sometimes. So he can do that defensively. I agree with you second best player you know it, i think it, it can rotate night to night between he and sure. giddy yeah, yeah. I, I think there's nights to get i'd say the same thing about giddy but the consistency that he gives you on both ends of the floor it's it's a huge part of their success and a lot of it is understated it's not going to be super flashy it's just highly effective yeah uh, the last guy that we have to talk about is isaiah joe because he had a phenomenal game last night he goes seven of seven from the three-point line um his game, you know, he came into the league as a great shooter. You knew he was a great shooter. One of the best ones in his class, if not the best one. But you thought maybe he was kind of slight of frame. Is he more than that? 
I feel like he's really grown as a player now to be a guy that can do, can fit in, you know, in every other aspect of the game. And then he's a lights out shooter and is gaining confidence. What did you see from him last night? Oh yeah. I mean, and he was, he was, you know, it's one of those deals where when you're a shooter and you get a couple to go right off the bat, you know, it's a totally yeah. different night. Like just, it really is like, it's so, so liberating. You know, when you're, when you're a shooter and you're paid to do that, you miss two or three, you know, you start to press a little bit because first of all, you know, that probably, you know, there's going to be a guy walking to the table here in a second. So I, I haven't got on the board yet and it's kind of what I'm paid to do. So when you hit a couple, it completely changes your mentality and like how aggressive you are in hunting those shots. So I thought he did a great job of that. I mean, he's a guy that, that obviously this wasn't his first stop. He was in Philadelphia and he'd have spot minutes and there were nights where he'd come in and he became a crowd favorite because he could do things like he did last night, you know, come in and hit two or three threes in a short period of time. Obviously the crowd reacts to that, loves that. He just never really was able to crack a firm place in their rotation. And so now he's here and he has found that. And that's all you really need as a shooter is the belief to know you can play through misses. And that might not be the only thing for once that I'm being judged by. You know, maybe now finally they can see that I'm going to compete defensively. And so maybe if I don't yeah. get a shot for six, seven minutes because they're guarding me chest to chest and not leaving me, I can stay on the floor because I'm doing some other things. And, and I think all, guys that can shoot the basketball sometimes early in their career – they, that's not the case. They're judged by one thing. And if you don't get out there and not only make shots, first you got to take them. So you got to get shots off and then shoot at a high rate to stay on the floor. I think he's kind of past that point. Now, last night was special, seven for seven. I mean, what shooter doesn't dream of that? That's going to carry his three-point percentage for like the next month, what he yeah. did you know, in that game. So that's a great – especially this early in the year, he's setting himself up to have probably the highest three-point percentage of his career. He's shooting 47% right now and that's seven for seven does not hurt yeah it doesn't hurt at all i here's what i like about last night is you go into a new team you get a new coach and you get a very unique situation with this oklahoma city thunder team last night i, I mentioned earlier that they play really small with kenrich williams at the five when you do that defenses know they're just going to switch everything because they're not worried about a mismatch inside they're not worried about oh our point guard got stuck on kenrich williams you're not going to post up kenrich williams you're not really going to worry about the rebounding against him. So you have to get creative. You can't run regular ball screen action. So what Oklahoma City did last night is they used Isaiah Joe as the ball screener. And rather than bring him from the left side or the right side, they brought him right up the middle of the court. They'd start him at the foul line. They'd have the ball handler split in the difference, like right straight in the middle of the court. And he wouldn't really pick a side. He would kind of set a flat ball screen right behind the defender. And it was bad defense. But three times, three of his seven three-pointers came off of this action where the defense would jump out thinking, okay, we're going to switch this. But the on-ball defender doesn't see a screen coming, so he doesn't know, is it right, left, which way am I switching? And Isaiah Joe will go up, the switch happens, and then he exits out the other direction as quickly as he can and got a shot off. So to me, this is a nice new wrinkle of, that Dagnot has clearly put in when he says, okay, we don't have a, we have five guards on the court. They're going to switch everything. We have to disguise our actions. And last night it worked perfectly. It did. And so a couple things had to happen for, for them to have success on this set. The first is um, the, the guy defending the ball handler, like you said, completely blind to the screen. Yeah. The screen is behind him at the foul line. It's not coming up from the side. When it comes up from the side, even though you're always supposed to have you know some guy – on your team, you know, communicating the screen is coming. Sometimes they, if they don't talk, you have peripheral to see them coming. Yep. These screens were literally behind the defender. 
there's no way they know what side the screen is going to end up being set on. Now they do know we're going to switch this screen action. Yeah. Problem is one of them was a, just a slight brush screen. The other two, there was no screen set at all. Isaiah Joe yeah. just waited until the ball got, kind of started to get to the slot, one side or the yeah. other. And then he just sprinted up to the opposite side from the ball handler behind a three point line. And as soon as he did it, it left both defenders right in front of the basketball. And then one pass, nobody rotating up. So now that defender has to try to fly over there. One time it was Looney. One time it was Wiggins. Like you're not – Kaminga, I think, was the other guy. You're not going to get there in time. So there was definitely mistakes made defensively. But I think part of it was the structure of the set. And when Isaiah Joe was timing his release to get out to the three-point line, if he waits any longer – now you're going to be able to communicate that switch effectively because right. there's probably contact with that defender. And now they know, they feel you. Okay, switch. If he goes, if he goes too soon, well, now the guy guarding him is just going to run with him. He did it at exactly the right time when it was just in that am ambiguous area where they're about to yell switch, and that's exactly when he broke out. And I don't know if that was, you know, he was that astute, like to do it at exactly that time. But hey, look, I give him credit. He did it three times, and he had. You know, got nine points out of that. So I give him a lot of credit for the wrinkle and then the execution and then also obviously some failures defensively in the part of the Warriors. I, I think he was. I give him credit. You know, for me, the art of setting a screen is as valuable as the art of a crossover for a lot of guys. And nobody works on it. You get in the offseason, you work on crossovers, but that ability to read, because sometimes you need to hold the screen longer, sometimes you need to disguise it, you got to flip it, you got to, it's all about reading and it becomes a feel. And the ability to know, okay, defender's out of position, I got to exit quickly and I got to go, that's a skill, that's a timing thing. And some yeah. guys have it down. I mean, Jamal Murray is one of these guys who is, it's an underrated aspect of his game is that he's such a good screener and he reads wet angles to screen on and different things. It opens up shots for you the same way a step back does or a crossover or any of those things. So I liked it. And then last thing I'm curious about with Isaiah Joe, we talked about this the other day. Open shots are obviously very valuable, but equally as valuable as knowing when the shot is coming. This is one of those plays where they ran it three times. First time, wide open. Second time, pretty open. Third time was a hard contest because the team's like, okay, we know it's coming now. But when you know I'm going to have time to get this shot off and it's going to be a split second, yes, it's a contested shot, but at least you know it's coming. And I feel like as a shooter, it's easier to know you know, you're letting it fire. Like the moment you release from that, you know the pass is coming and you know you're going to let it off your fingertips right away. And it almost makes it easier than most contested shots because you know it's coming. That's a very good point. And I think it, it's it's a, there's a correlation even between with a shooter getting a shot late clock or when right. the shot clock or clock, right? And you, you know ahead of time, if it comes, I have to shoot it. So like no hesitation. What we're what we're talking about is removing 5% right out of your brain that yeah. it, it, that may hesitate or might overthink or process something. There's no processing it in that situation. And the same with that. And so I also will say this, the dip, when, when a shooter is already like kind of warmed up a little bit, he's hit a couple, what looks like a contested shot to, to people at home, I can just tell you, to the shooter, it doesn't feel that way. There's no difference between a, a naked look and a contested shot, oh, not quite, not quite palm on palm, but like in the area, right. it doesn't matter. Point. And so that that little nanosecond of space and removing any thought out of your mind about what I'm going to do if I catch it, you know what's about to happen, man. Oh man, 
does that make make guys you know so confident and obviously their percentages go up much more efficient players and the opposite end of that spectrum is when the five percent of doubt goes up in your mind this is where shooters go into slumps and then the five percent becomes ten percent and perhaps that's part of what's going on with Clay Thompson. We're going to talk about him on the other side. Legs has some notes about his shot, which is off to a rough start this year. But first, let's take our first break. Uh, much more in the show coming up in the next segments. But first, NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub, and with DraftKings Parlays, everyone's got a shot at a bigger payout. You can stream together. Tonight's an in-season tournament night. I think there's 10 games. You can make a parlay of 10 bets. If you hit all 10 bets, 10 games tonight, just the money line, if you hit all of that, you're going to have yourself a nice little weekend. So basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with ALLNBA promo code. The crown is yours. You got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas and a licensed partner of Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana, 21 and older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here in the second half of the All-NBA Show. We appreciate everybody for tuning in all week. We've got some original or some OGs. Grace, I know you've been in the chat every single time. Freddie as well. So we appreciate Mahilo. We appreciate the people who watch us live. Make it part of your routine. We're not just talking the games. You could say, oh, I'm not interested in the Miami Heat-Brooklyn game. It's not about that. There's details in every game about basketball that we both find interesting, and I know you guys will find interesting as well, and it'll help you watch your favorite team, I'm sure of it. Um, we just talked about a guy who had a great shooting night, a guy who had a terrible shooting night. On the other end of the court was Clay Thompson. He goes just one of 10 from the field, and some of his misses were pretty ugly. Legs, what's going on here? Well, first of all, look, I, I love Clay Thompson as much as anybody. Um, but what I watched last night, I, I would say, I would argue to say, he might agree, maybe not, that the, the in the totality of his misses and how off they were, most of those shots, it might have been the worst shooting night of his life. I mean, I, I was thinking, you know, his career, certainly this season, I was thinking maybe his career, and then I thought, you know what, maybe ever – Ever. He grew up in a basketball household, so he was probably shooting a, a, a basketball with pretty good form right. when he was like four, right? So, <laughs> so I mean, right. these, these shots were not close, and there's, there's, a, there's a collection of reasons for it. The first, I will give him the benefit of the doubt on, and that is the difficulty of the shots he took last night. I don't know who's going to shoot a good percentage with those shots. And the reason is because you're feeling the impact of no Steph to create all of that action where everybody gravitates toward him, right? And that's always going to create space opposite sure. him for Clay. Okay. Uh, no Draymond. So you got nobody processing all of those screens and mistakes that defenses make and make sure that ball goes to the right place every single time. That's worth a few good looks a game. So he didn't have either one of those things. Let's start with that. 
difficulty of shots off the charts. You're already pressing. You're already struggling. And now you're going to take shots that have a degree of difficulty, like an 8.5 out of 10 on average. Yeah, so you're setting yourself up to fail. But here's now where it's on him. The mechanics of what he's doing. When you watch Clay Thompson and he's rolling and he's he's really shooting well and in rhythm, and even Knights didn't shoot well, but you know he's like he's in the midst of a of a of a burner it, like in the schedule. He lands, he hits, he stops. He either takes a little slight step forward or he doesn't move at all, or he holds his follow through and he stands at one spot until that ball basically gets to the rim. Take a look at some of these misses last night. He's hitting the ground and backpedaling at a high rate of speed prior to the ball getting anywhere near the rim. So what you're doing is you're basically two things. You're giving up on the shot and you're wishing the shot. You're not you're not commanding the basketball to go in. You're hoping that the basketball goes in. And that is like most normal human beings think. That's not Clay Thompson. So the certainty with which he's playing, it wasn't there last night. And so it's it's mechanics. The other thing he he had last night, and I don't know if this was defensively what they were trying to accomplish. I felt like everybody coming around every screen on Clay was on his right side all night long. When you watch Clay Thompson have big nights, he's coming off those down screens or he's catching the ball in transition or off a guard split. It's mixed. Sometimes on the right side, sometimes on the left. The reason I say that is when you're constantly shooting the ball and you're a right-handed player and all of the traffic you're feeling and pressure is on your right side of your body and you're already struggling. Now you have nights like you saw last night. So, it was unusual, even on a year yeah. in which he's only averaging 14 points a game. Like he's he's averaging fewer points than any any year except his rookie year, and that year he shot 44 percent from the field. His rookie year, right, right. Year, so he has dropped by eight points a game over last year here at the start of the year. That's this right. is dramatic stuff that we're watching, and when you watch last night and look at all those misses. There was only a couple in that group that he let it fly and you thought had a chance. Those balls were not close. And so I know he feels terrible. Nobody squeezes the ball tighter when they're missing shots than Clay Thompson. He is so competitive about his game. And I love the way he's always proving something every trip. That's great. That's gotten him where he is. It also works against him when he's in a shooting slump because he wants mm. it to happen too badly. And, and the game isn't coming to you anymore. And because he's obsessed with how, you know, how good he wants to prove to everybody that he is. So I think it's all working against him right now, including the personnel on the floor. That's not helping him with those guys missing. The Warriors had a pretty good start to the year. They got two wins over Sacramento. Um, they beat Oklahoma City early in the year. It looked like, okay, Steph Curry had some masterful performances. He looked. We, we talked a couple weeks ago in our first week of doing the show. We asked, is Steph Curry as good as he's ever been? And, you know, we thought maybe he is. Since then, he's gotten hurt. Draymond Green's gotten suspended, and they've lost six of their last seven games. Um, and a lot of them, like you said, have not necessarily looked great. So their upcoming slate – by the way, I hate that the NBA does this. Their last – their four-game stretch, Minnesota, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City. It, it's almost like playoff series, yeah. you know, that they're going little mini-series, and I don't like that they do that. This is a new um, thing you know, in the NBA over the last several years. And, and you know, they, they it's really post-COVID, and they're trying to – I guess eliminate travel a little bit, and that's probably smart. better. For and everything is about anymore is the whole mindset is preserve, 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 right? right? Preserve energy, preserve legs, like all that. So that's along those lines. I agree with you, you know, especially if it's a really good matchup, right? Like yeah, these are, these are good matchups. I love. Watching, I don't want to watch them play twice in the same week. 
and then we'll not play again out. for months. These are yeah. two Western Conference potential playoff matchups, Oklahoma City Warriors, uh, Timberwolves Warriors, and we're not really going to get a good sample size of any of them because they happen to come in this window here. So and, that, and that's why I don't thing, like it. Yeah, the other thing about that is when you when you get that and a guy a key guy's out, he misses both games. Like when, right. when they're spread out, or you might play a team once and then play them again in six weeks, most likely yeah. that player whoever is back. And so now right. when you get a guy, you get a guy that's hurt and you're playing these back to backs. Well, then that now that guy's going to miss both of those games. So it takes a little bit away yeah. from uh, the enjoyment for us as a fan, for sure. The Warriors Thunder is such a great matchup. They play for the third time tomorrow and then don't play again all season. <laughs> it's just so weird that you would get all three yeah, of those we matchups hit in. December and they're done. Yeah, it's crazy. And they're done. Uh, all right, let's move on to the other game, the Miami Heat. Um, this is what I say about the Miami Heat. They do it every year. I don't know how. They lose the exact right games to start the year. So you write, you go, okay, the Heat, little magic out. It's a new year, whatever. You, you write them off. And then all of a sudden, they own the league's longest win streak. They have one of the best records in the NBA. And they're under the radar somehow. They're 8-4. and four. That's a great record, but they're under the radar. I watched them last night. Hadn't watched them a whole lot this year. And what stood out to me was, one, I don't know that they have a great defense just yet, but they have a get-it-done defense. I think Hayward Highsmith helps a lot with that. And then Jimmy Butler, he's just the ultimate competitor and a guy that last night, his 11-0 run to end the third quarter, that was all him. And then they some other guys made a plays in the last like minute of, of that quarter. It was such a classic heat moment. Dogfight of a game, ugly game, whatever. Winning time, end of a quarter, let's put this game away. And they go on an enormous run to, to, to create separation. And then the fourth quarter was just holding on. See, you need to do what I do, Adam, at the beginning of the year. Don't fall prey to it because I, I, I refuse to watch the Heat in the early years. Like, what's <laughs> why? Hard. Why am I going to watch yeah. the Heat? They're one and three, and now I got to overreact to something. So you just got to wait on them. What they showed last night is, and we haven't literally, anything I've done, any format for work, barely discussed the Miami Heat all season. And you, you know, because it's Milwaukee, Boston, and then Philly, how great they look to start the year without Harden. Those are the three storylines. And 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 then you had Knicks and Cavs even get more attention. And then you got the heat there. Oh, by the way, they just played the finals last year. Um, and <laughs> and and here's the thing: they've got a toughness about them, and it, it's embodied by Jimmy Butler for sure. Totally. They've got a toughness about them. They got an expectation to win close games. Okay, so they just they have a different type of confidence level. A lot of that is Butler, but an even bigger part is their head coach. I think he's the sharpest coach in the NBA. You, there's never a time when you watch the Miami Heat play, do you think that somebody from a coaching standpoint is going to get the best of Eric Spolstra on a given night? Um, and that gives you so much confidence as a team. Like this guy and these guys over there are going to figure this out on a given night, like whatever it is, or even pre preparing for the game in what they're talking about and covering. So they what they showed last night to me is, if you watch the whole game, they're a threat. They are a threat. And they weren't being discussed as a threat at the start of the year. And it wasn't even so much because of the start they had. It was because all we were talking about was a Boston added Porzingis Drew Holiday. Right? Milwaukee added Damian Lillard. Philadelphia looks incredible without heart. So right. it wasn't even so much about their start. It was about these other teams. Relative to them, the storylines aren't there. Um, cause they kind of stood pat for the most part, what they have, but they showed you last night. Do not forget about them because they're built for the playoffs. Haywood Highsmith entered the rotation he missed the first four games of the year. He enters the rotation, um, 
They lose to Brooklyn, and then he enters the starting lineup. And since then, they have not lost. Uh, they've won seven in a row. So he is, to me, every year they have these guys, and I know he's on the roster last year, but every year they have these guys where it's like, okay, we lose, you know, Gabe Vincent. Let's plug in Highsmith now. Let's put, let's put this guy there. To me, he also embodies them because one of the things that happens when you have a roster like this where there's your star is Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, guys who are just tough, hard-nosed guys, is everybody else – learns that they have a job to do and then does that job and puts their head down. And Highsmith to me is kind of embodies that he's not a scorer. He's not creating, he's not dribbling. I say, Hey, you got to go play some defense. You got to get in the corner. You got to do this or that. And that's it. And he accepts it. Another guy and legs, we keep talking about these young guys. I'm hopeful of the new generation because the new generation of players, there seems to be more guys that are interested in team basketball and stuff. Another guy is Jaime Jaquez. I really like this guy's game. He's got great yeah. length. He's got, I think in a previous era, Jaime Hawkins would come in and be a ball dominant, probably low efficiency shooter who's shooting a bunch of turnarounds because he has that in his game. He's a very crafty player, but he seems to be using his craft or out the gate in a way that is fits into the roster. He had 10 points last night, four rebounds, five assists, a little bit of everything, four of nine shooting. And he's another guy that seems to understand his cutting lanes, seems to understand when it's time for him to go hard, when it's time for him to kind of play within the system. I, I like this guy. Oh, love them. And I'm telling you, they, there's no way they expected him to be in the rotation to this extent when they when they drafted him and brought him in. There's just no way. Not on a team with this kind yeah. of pedigree, right? And and early in the year, especially. Um, what what he I'm sure this all started probably knowing Eric Spolstra and what he's looking at, this was like second day at camp. He was probably like turning on the sideline, looking to his staff, like, okay. Because and, not, and it's not because He's going to go do some of these spectacular things that maybe some other young right. players could do. Rookies could do. It's because every trip up the floor, they're saying to themselves, this is one of the smartest guys on the court. Yeah. And that's what they want. They want the versatility, the brains, the IQ, somebody that's never going to hurt you because they're reading exactly what you are as the most cerebral coach in the league. And Eric Spolstra, when he's watching them come up the floor and he's looking over the floor, he's seeing it. So is he. And that's why I think there's a bond and a connection. And he's he's already entrenched himself in that rotation. So I love watching. And he reminds me too. We talked about Jalen Williams earlier. He reminds me of him in that he has a bit of a thicker body. He's a little bit wider. He's got great length and he uses it well defensively. It's not, you know, he's not crowding into guys' spaces. He's giving space and then he's contesting shots and just playing discipline. And I I, I like that. It's funny, man, because you know, we, we've been pretty positive on the show. We get excited about teams. We get excited about players. But I feel like as we've been doing this, one thing that stood out, a lot of the good players and good teams are all consolidated. And a lot of the teams that drive us nuts, and, and are, they're also consolidated. I mean, we look at the Clippers. We look at the Lakers. We look at some of these teams. And you go down the roster on those ones, and it's, ah, this guy bugs me. This guy's bugging me. This guy's bugging me. So I don't know. Maybe the league is filtering into – the teams that are aiming at this target, eight teams that are aiming at that target. And, um, you know, maybe that maybe that's a trend. I want to – let's move in, though. We got a new Legler's list this week. A new Legler's yeah. list. A new segment we're doing here where I task legs with coming up with a top five of a certain topic. This week, who better to ask about prettier jumpers? And earlier in the week we were talking – I can't remember what player we were talking about. And you were saying it's not the prettiest looking jumper, but it goes in – and it made me I think. Thinking, Hall, I think I was talking about Halliburton. I think. Yeah, I think it is. Yep, Halliburton, whose shot I trust as much as just about anybody's, especially in the clutch. But you're right; it's not the prettiest looking jumper. So now 
I thought, okay, who are the prettiest jumpers in the NBA? You made a list. I've seen it. I have a few disagreements, but why don't you reveal your list? All right. So, uh, and I'm going to go look. I'm, uh, Steph's on there because if you don't put Steph on there, like you're, you're doing a moron. <laughs> and I could, and obviously Clay deserves to be on this list too. But I thought to myself, you know what? That's so obvious yeah. that yeah. I want to get okay. some other guys that maybe people wouldn't be thinking about. So, and I'm going to go. Right. I'm going to start right to left here. So Jordan Hawkins. I wanted to get a, a younger guy Man. in there. I think his stroke is so pretty. And I, and when he was at UConn, and I saw him shooting the ball, and I thought for a decade, like Ray Allen, that had the prettiest stroke. I had seen um, until, yeah. you know, we heard about this guy named Curry coming into the league. And uh, Jordan Hawkins has some of that in him, man. It, it's a little bit shorter and a little bit more compact. But his elbow is lined up. The way it comes off his fingertips, his palm, his offhand, his guide hand, it is absolutely perfect. And it is the same way every single time. So I had to put him on there. Michael Porter Jr. is on there. Hold, hold on, hold on. I want to go back to I want to go back to Jordan Hawkins here because okay. Jordan Hawkins – I don't think he's on people's radars just yet because it's New Orleans. You know, it's hard. He, the name maybe doesn't ring out. The guy does have an incredibly quick trigger, but good yeah. shot selection, which is so yeah. rare for a guy like you could tell because he's a small guy. You could tell that he has been undersized. Some guys are not undersized until they get to the NBA, and it's the first time they've ever been undersized. He's probably been undersized his whole life, and you could tell because he knows what's my avenue to being a great player. Quick trigger, beautiful, perfect balance and everything on a shot I, I i'm high on that guy i think he's really really good for a guy that tiny yeah and he's already like he's already made a huge splash with them i mean he's and he's oh. he's become next to zion probably their crowd favorite because it's look everybody going to the games when when, when you see a guy like that rise up like the expectation yep. now yep. he's proven it over here even yep. a short sample size it this this is going in like everybody kind of feels it so He's already sort of taken over that. Um, I'll go to the next one I want to talk about is Michael Porter Jr. He's there in the middle of the screen. Yeah. Michael Porter Jr., there's something about, like, taller guys that rise up and jump like he does, but he's got such a beautiful stroke, and he's got great timing on his release, which most guys that jump high don't. They have inconsistent release times because you can't time that every time you're jumping 25, 30 inches off the ground. And, and Michael Porter Jr. gets off the ground when he shoots it. And it's funny. I got a stat for you. I got a stat for you, Legs. He right, has the second highest release point on his jumper in the NBA. Last year, he was first. The only player this year higher, Wembenyama, seven foot four. Wow, that's so amazing. Not only, so he's 6'10", 6'11", so automatically you're starting from a high base. He jumps, like you said, 40 inches in the air on his jumper. He just gets elevation. And then his release point is really high. He's not one of these guys that's shooting it from below the chin. He's His release point is really high. So, you know yes. Else, you know what else that stat tells me right there that you just gave? It tells me that you have no idea if I asked you about series on Netflix because you're home looking at this kind of stuff. <laughs> That's why that's why you're the best of the best, okay? Did you I came up with burned, the high, second highest release point in the NBA to back me up exactly when I wanted to go there? You're here is you're better than the research department I have at ESPN. It's amazing. Oh man, I love yeah, that's that. courtesy of Second Spectrum, by the way. Shout out Second Spectrum. There you go. Second Spectrum is the best. Um, all right, let's talk about uh Sam Hauser. Sam Hauser is kind of new to the list, and he kind of you know, he had moments last year, but he's he's really kind of come into his own now. He's out there for long stretches, um, and he is out there to do one thing offensively. Yeah. Every now and then I'll see him put it on the deck, but for the most part, get to your spot and wait. And it's going to be from Tatum. It's going to be from Brown. It's going to be from Drew. It's going to be every now and then from Porzingis, Derek White. They have so many smart players that draw attention on that team. Um, he's going to benefit from it. So he's very active. 
He runs. He doesn't just stand. He gets from spot to spot. And when he gets it, that catch cradle to release point, that's about as pretty as it gets. And then he holds his follow through for an extended period of time, which is even over exaggerated. So he's on there. But all these guys I've mentioned, I won't even bother talking about stuff. We know about that. The most beautiful jump shot, picture perfect shot in the league is Duncan Robinson. And, okay. and I'm going to tell you something. I have felt this way since I went to an NCAA tournament game uh, up in up in New Jersey at Barclays. And he was playing it. I guess he was at Purdue. He was from Purdue, right? He could Purdue, Iowa. I'm forgetting oh, right now. Oh, man, you're going to make me look this up here. I'll look, I'll look so, it up while you're talking. They were about to play, and, and Nova was there that day. They were playing also. And so I was just kind of hanging out by the court. I didn't know who Duncan Michigan. Robinson was. Oh, Michigan. Exactly, Michigan. I didn't know who Duncan Robinson was. And I'm just standing there watching this guy and having a conversation with someone. Man, look at that kid's shot. Look at that. That is just absolutely picture perfect and so, so effortless. It's just, and that's when you know a guy's perfected mechanics. There is nothing about that that looks remotely difficult or forced. It is so effortless and such a flick of the wrist. So I thought it about that him before he even played in the NBA, and I didn't even know that day. I think he had maybe eight points, 10 points in the game. I didn't know yeah. if he was even an NBA player. I didn't know anything about right. his background. Then, of course, the story you find out, this guy started out at Division Three. He ends up at Michigan, and now he's you know gets into the league in Miami, he plays a little bit early on. And then three consecutive years, this guy goes, made threes, 270, 250, 232. Here's where it gets interesting for Duncan Robinson. So that takes us up uh, through the end of the 21-22 season. And then they paid him. He got $90 million yeah, over five yeah. years. And he got $18 million a year. And the fascinating thing was, Adam, as soon as they paid him, and he had broken the franchise record for threes multiple times, they said, yeah. you know what? Thanks a lot. Go have a seat. We just yeah. found Max Truce. And yeah. I'm sitting there going, all year that year, I'm going, what is happening? Oh, well, we think Struce is a better defender. He's a little bit more physical. And I'm going, not by that much to, to, to dictate that. You've got that kind of shooter. You just paid him, and now you're not going to play him. And so, ironically he, – He slumped too, though. He fell into a slump as well, that, that well, if I recall. he went into a slump because his rhythm was thrown off. Like, uh, okay. I, I, okay, so it's, I don't think it's a coincidence. Where's Max Struce now? He's in Cleveland. Cleveland, yeah. And guess what, Duncan, guess what Duncan Robinson, look at his numbers this year. <laughs> look at this. I love this. High, Tim Edwards coming in hot. I love it. Yeah, and he's on fire right now. This stretch yeah. that he's having, and he did it again. He did it again last night. And he actually yeah. improved his off-ball cutting. He puts it down sometimes. It gets to the rim. And a nice reverse layup last night off a drive. So he mixed in just enough to give him some supplemental scoring when he's getting that chest-to-chest -chest coverage and he can't get any space. But when he gets space, and it's funny too, I watch Eric Spolstra. If he ever turns down a shot with any bit of daylight, Spolstra is so upset that he didn't shoot the basketball. Like that's the level of, of belief and confidence they have in him. And I think for me, that's the prettiest shot in the NBA right now. So it's a great list. You could go back and forth on this list forever. There's two guys you didn't mention. Oh, one thing I was going to say about Duncan Robinson real quick. Some guys jump quick up, quick down, or jump high in the peak, and then and they come down. He kind of floats. It's almost like he reaches his peak early and then stays at the peak for a little while and comes back down. And I feel like that's another part of his jumper is, you know, he's able to kind of get into rhythm, set in the air, and, and let it go. And it's just kind of floating in the air. Um, but the two guys you say, didn't mention. Being 6'7", being 6'7", helps, by the way. 
Yeah. What what yeah. I wouldn't have given to be six seven. You know, I mean, extra shots you can get off with that extra three <laughs> inches of height, man. Tell you. Right. Um, two guys you didn't mention that I'm curious what you think. The second one in particular, I, I, I I'm as a point of contention. But the first one, Kyrie Irving. When we talk about jumpers, I think you're thinking of catch and shoot threes or off movement threes. But Kyrie is one of the guys who, to me, moving left, moving right, moving forward, backwards. The moment he goes into the air, it's like everything stops. He can stop his momentum and go perfectly up and, and balance and square himself. And he has a very looky, a pretty looking shot. It's a little different than these guys who are more three point shooters primarily. But Kyrie well, me, to me is me, a guy that I'm always give you impressed. A quick, can I get a quick take on that then? I listen. Sure. Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, from the from the point where the ball comes off of his fingertip, the rest of that sequence till it gets to the rim, and like particularly the snap of his wrist and like the the force with which he follows through and the way he finishes it is as good as it gets. The ball in his hand is turned slightly sideways. Like I look, I think about mm. traditional shoes like picture perfect mechanics. You're okay, yeah. that ball, the way those seams are lined up, like there's a perfect backwards rotation this way. His ball, because his hand is kind of turned a little bit like this, it, it sits, it, it 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 comes off almost at a different angle. Now, like I said, when it comes off, that wrist comes back to center and it's straight down, and it looks pitched like the rest of those guys, it looks exactly like that. But that point when the ball's in his hand, it's about to come off, doesn't look what I would describe as like textbook form. And that's that's the only reason Kyrie Irving wouldn't make that list. Interesting. The guy, so him, I thought, okay, I could see it. But this guy, Devin Booker, to me, has one of the prettiest jumpers in the league. And again, mid-range, three-pointer. Every time he elevates, I just feel like every he to me looks like the silhouette of a shooter in a shooting textbook. So I'm curious, is Devin Booker far off the list to you? Is there something like that in his shot that you don't like? Devin Booker almost I, – I was going to put him on a list instead of instead of Hauser. I wanted to try to find a little bit more obscure guys for people hmm. maybe that aren't watching every night. You know, I, I could – because right. I could easily have just Steph, Clay, yeah, Booker, yeah, yeah, like an right. all-star game up there. I wanted <laughs> yeah, to find right. other guys, right, to maybe make you have some interest. Oh, this Sam Hauser guy. Let me go check him out. Um, if Lego thinks he's got a pretty jump shot, yeah, no question. Devin Booker is, is absolutely flawless, no doubt. Both Kyrie and Devin Booker just have such good balance in everything they do. Not just their jumper, but their layup package, everything. And the balance is the part to me that I'm just moving left and moving right. It's the moment they go into their shooting motion, everything squares, everything like slows down. And it's just it, it's just gorgeous. Um, all right. Every weekend on Friday, as we get you ready to set off to the week, we ask a question. Who won the week in the NBA this week? Who won the week? Now, we have some candidates here. You could say... But De'Aaron Fox won. Coming back from injury, the Sacramento Kings did not look very good. All of a sudden, De'Aaron Fox comes back. They're in my top tier or near the top tier in the NBA for me. They've had some big, big time wins. You can say Jalen Williams, who has been at some of the games this week for, for the Thunder. I think they go 3-0, and and he has been arguably their best player through that stretch. You could say Jason Tatum. The Celtics pick up a pair of big wins after having a rough week last week. This week, they bounce back, and he leads the way. You could say Jimmy Butler. A lot of different ways you could go here, Legs. What did you go with? Yeah, so, again, I'll mix this up between player and team week by week. Could be I'll team, try yep. to, you know. And so I'm going to go team this week, and I'm going to go with the Celtics because they've okay. dealt with some injuries. And so you look at their schedule, and I basically – so we, we, when we do this, I'm going – since we do this on Fridays, 
I'm going to always start with like that next Saturday. So Saturday, yeah. last Saturday through Thursday night. That's kind of where I'm going to keep it yeah. since the last time we did this, basically. And I look at, you know, their three wins since then, Toronto, New York, and Philly. Um, Good win. Toronto, New York, they hold both of those teams. And look, that's a mixture of teams, right, that are all right there in the mix trying to figure out who's going to who's gonna be in that three through six spot in the East, right? They're, they're all in that mix. So Toronto, New York, they hold both of those teams under 100 points. So they do that, you know, showing you what they're capable of defensively. And then they play Philadelphia, a team that had just beaten them, and they're, and they're in Philly, no Porzingis, no Jalen Brown. And coming off of a ton of attention going to Tyrese Max, who had a 50-point game, Philly rolling, and they go in there, and it's very methodical. And they basically controlled that game the entire way. And they get a 10-point win in Philly without either of those guys. And they showed off their depth in that game, particularly with Derek White, the night that he had who just kills the Sixers. Tatum had a big night. But they they basically bombed them out from the three-point line. They shoot 53s in that game, <laughs> make 18 of them, and get like a plus 21 from the three-point line in a 10-point game. So I just thought that – just three teams, like all good. None of those teams are like, you know, lottery bound, bottom of the barrel teams in the Eastern Conference. They're all right there in the middle of the mix. All, all by the way, tough teams to play against. They're, all those teams can get physical with you, everything else. And they just methodically check them off, man. Uh, you know, 117.94, 114.98, 117.07. Like just three carbon copy wins. The last one of which without Brown and Porzingis against a team in Philly was really feeling themselves going into that game. So I think the Celtics just had a phenomenal week. It's a good pick. You know, there's four, we're four weeks into the NBA season. Week one, I think you said, okay, who's the best team in the East? It's the Boston Celtics. Weeks two and three, you know, 76ers kind of stormed back and you say, okay, maybe it's the 76ers. They're on a win streak. They pick up the win against Boston. Maxi has the 50 piece and you go, okay, this might be a contest. Let's see. I do feel like this last week, Boston kind of reclaimed the note. We're the top dogs in the Eastern Conference. And you know what? I They might hold that spot now for the rest of the year. We'll find out. It's too early to say. But this might be a thing where we look at this and say this is where they kind of made the statement and then held that for the rest of the year. We'll find out. This weekend, Legs, the in-season tournament is back tonight. Our in-season tournament. We've got games. Philadelphia is 1-1 one one in pool play. They lost to the Pacers. They go up against the Atlanta Hawks tonight who are undefeated in group play. So that'll be a big game for them. We've got Boston and Toronto. Toronto, weird schedule quirk. They're the only team in the NBA that has not played a tournament game yet. So their tournament debut is tonight. Um, that one should be good. Boston's 1-0. So that could, that could be from pool play supremacy. Sacramento is 1-0. They play the Spurs tonight. They should get a win, but they have the inside track here. Denver at New Orleans. This is a great game. Um, and also could determine the standings of the first in their pool play. The Pelicans have one, uh, they're one and one, but they have a plus 18 differential. Houston is at the Clippers. Oh man, legs is, the, are the Clippers going to get their first win this weekend with James Harden? No, I, They've don't got Houston. Against, I don't think they are against that team. I'll tell you what, right now, I, I, Houston's probably licking their chops to get a hold of some Clippers right now, the, <laughs> the way they look offensively. Uh, and, yeah. and Houston's incredibly athletic and active and playing well. No, they're, they're, they, even though the Clippers are struggling, they've got, you know, four Hall of Famers on that team. This is the, this is the kind of game that's going to give Houston's best effort, man. They're looking at this as a way to really let people know 
what's going on there right now because it's been a great story. One of the best stories in the league to this point. But, hey, look, I've come full circle on the in-season tournament. You know this, man. We've talked yeah, about this. Yeah. Man, I, I get it, man. At our home, tournament. At my house, man, I got I got the big jumbo, jumbo board on the wall. Looks like the World Cup. I'm like, you know, hanging on every one of these scores. <laughs> and I, I tell you what. The league, the league got it right. These guys seem yeah. to be into it. There's a little extra something there for those games. So th- this is a good, this is a big week for that. Hey, we had somebody choke another player out in the last in-season tournament game, and these guys are intense. They're taking it too serious. Um, Phoenix is at Utah tonight. They also have a game on Sunday. I haven't seen an update at Bradley Beal at the time of this, but maybe we see the big three this weekend with with Phoenix. I don't know, but that would be interesting to look for. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I thought I was going to get that Wednesday, and you know, so this is delayed. We don't know yeah. if that's just being overly cautious because he wants to just feel nothing. The next time he takes the court in that back, which probably be smart. There's no rush on it. Um, it's not a big deal that they haven't played together yet. Um, but that's I can't wait till they do. Then we're immediately going to want to judge them after one night. It's going to take you know 10, 12, 15 games to get a really good feel for how those guys play together, and also now incorporating different roles for the role players that have played well for them because it's going to look different when you have three stars out there. Uh, Dallas is at Milwaukee on Saturday. That should be a fascinating game. Sacramento is at Dallas the following night on Sunday. And then Houston, man, this is a test for the young Houston team. Or I guess they're not that young, mixed Houston team. They've got the L.A. doubleheader over the weekend. So they play Friday night. They get a weekend in Los Angeles, and then they play the Lakers on Sunday. This will be a big test for their culture to figure out how they do. Yeah, no, no, listen, you got, you got a young team and a weekend in LA, so yeah, let's let's see. Yeah, let's see how they handle that. Yeah, let's go, go, make, make a statement. Uh, Legs, another fantastic week, man. I love these conversations. I love doing this show. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun, and what a great week of basketball for us. Anything before we get out of here? No, just that each week. The thing, great thing about the show is each week, as we move into the season, each week has has more ramifications. And eventually, obviously, there's that sprint to the finish coming. But, uh, yeah, this has been fantastic, man. I love the fact that we're mixing up these teams and topics every day. There's always something interesting coming out of the night before in the NBA. I got two shout-outs to give before we get out of here. One is to our excellent producer, Emma Clark, who's behind the scenes. You don't see her, but she's putting in a lot of work to make this show great. And we appreciate her very much. Um, This show keeps adding layers, and a lot of that is Emma adding things to the show. I also want to give a shout out. The music to this show really fits the show. I love it so much. I love found it, this man. guy, Greg Kramer. Yeah. Here's the story, ladies. You don't even know this story, but you'll like it. I found this guy. He came out across my Spotify like a year ago. And I listened to it and I was like, man, I love this sound. You can hear it playing in the background right now. And I'm thinking, I love this sound. I want to use it someday for a project. This project comes along and I reach out to the artist. I don't know him. I reach out and I say, hey, I'm Adam. I'm doing a show with Tim Legler. Turns out. He's a huge NBA fan, huge NBA fan, knew of me, obviously knows of you, knows of me. He's heard me on the low post and on different things. And he says, I'd be honored for you guys to use it, Um, you know, mutual interest and this or that. And I thought, man, how cool is that when something like that comes together with people in different fields? That is absolutely awesome. But I I didn't even get a chance to talk to you about the music yet, man. I absolutely love the music to this show. I love the intro. Every day I sit here watching it just I can't wait to get to that music. There you go, man. Greg Kramer. It reminds me a little bit of like round ball rock and funky fanfare and some of those old iconic basketball, you know, the horns and everything else. So I love it. Check him out on Spotify. Greg Kramer, man. Everybody hit the like button on the way out. We'll see you next week.
bear. 